Hey everybody, Jeremy Markovich here. Two quick notes before we get going. First, this podcast has a new home. It's now part of the North Carolina Rabbit Hole, which you can find at ncrabbithole.com. There you can check out previous episodes of Away Message. You can find any new episodes that we're putting out. And if you like this podcast, I think, no guarantees, but I think you will like my weekly newsletter. It is about weird North Carolina stuff. Comes out every Thursday. It is free if you want it to be. And you can sign up at ncrabbithole.com. Second, this episode was produced during my time at Our State Magazine. Now, I happen to think that most of it still holds up, but some of the promo codes and websites that I mention may no longer work. Okay, here's the show. What are we doing at this moment right now? We're patiently waiting for the motor vessel noose to arrive and carry us across the Cape Fear River. I'm sitting in a pickup truck with a guy named Billy Ray Morris. We're about a half hour drive south of Wilmington, and we're about to roll onto a ferry, pulling a 23-foot dive boat behind us. Think about that for a second. Here, stop and think about the irony of putting a boat on a boat. Oh yeah, (laughs) plus it amuses the ever-loving daylights out of me. Now, there's a perfectly logical reason for this. The remote spot that we're visiting today is just off of Oak Island, and it's only about a four-mile boat ride from the marina in Southport. If we put the boat in the water there, we'll save a lot of time and a lot of gasoline. So we're on the ferry, towing a boat. You ever worried that like, oh man, I got some rough seas, everybody's looking at you because you, you got the other boat? You're like, oh, I don't know if I have room for y'all. Yeah, I'm selling tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Just to put your mind at ease here, it's been a really long time since a ferry sank in North Carolina, but when it comes to other shipwrecks, we've got plenty. How many wrecks do you think we pass? on the ferry. Are there any out here that are like on either side of this route that are just sitting in the water? Yeah, we're getting re- we're getting ready to pass the Raleigh, which is one of the ironclads built in Wilmington. We're going to run over the blockade runner Kate, and when we turn, we'll be able to look down the river and see where the ironclad North Carolina is. So that's three Civil War wrecks that literally, if there was no water right now, you could see all three of them. On one like half an hour boat ride? On one one half hour boat ride. In North Carolina, there could be as many as 5,000 shipwrecks from German U-boats to Spanish galleons to prehistoric canoes. We say could be because out of those 5,000, less than 1,000 shipwrecks have been found and identified. In fact, finding a new one in North Carolina usually happens by accident. In a lot of cases, people find shipwrecks when they're like in the way of something they want to build. In North Carolina, that's almost always the way. Billy Ray is the man in charge of documenting all of North Carolina's shipwrecks. More precisely, he's a marine archaeologist. Now, I know you hear the word archaeologist and think Indiana Jones. That belongs in a museum! But actual marine archaeology work can be kind of tedious, even with a boat full of fancy equipment. Actually doing the remote sensing survey is about as exciting as cutting a football field with a walking lawnmower. So for every minute of excitement, you probably have, you know, like two and a half days of mind-numbing regularity. Which makes the things that happened to Billy Ray Morris a few years ago all the more remarkable. I mean, I think probably the consensus opinion was like, are you believing what we're seeing and that nobody's found this thing before? That thing he found? It's a ship that had been missing for more than a hundred years, despite the fact that it sits only a quarter mile away from one of North Carolina's most well-known beaches. 
Its final voyage shows how one wrong turn can get you in a lot of trouble, and its discovery came courtesy of a storm and a stroke of luck. But when we first saw it, and you know, both of us have seen a lot of wrecks in our careers, both of us were just amazed. And that's where we're headed, to a shipwreck just off the Carolina coast that proves that the most remote places can be right under your nose. This is Away Message, presented by Our State Magazine, a podcast about what you find in hard-to-find places. I'm Jeremy Markovich. Before we go on, I just want to point something out. Billy Ray, not his real name. Billy Ray, how did you get the name Billy Ray? I wore the same jersey number in high school as a linebacker at North Carolina State named Billy Ray Vickers, you know, being from southeastern North Carolina. The nickname kind of stuck. I've actually had people come up to me at professional conferences where it says my paper is under my name of John William Morris III, and they've asked me if I knew Billy Ray Morris, and I've always said, well, you know, that guy's a geek. You don't want to talk to him. He's a complete buffoon. He's not a buffoon. He's been diving on North Carolina shipwrecks for decades. He got a start as a kid. And I'd go out and look at these things, and I was like, these are unbelievably cool. And it wasn't until later that I realized that everybody didn't get to grow up doing this. Today, Billy Ray is the director of North Carolina's Underwater Archaeology Branch. A few years ago, Greg Stratton got a job working with Billy Ray, and they can both attest to the benefits of living in Carolina Beach. There's decent surf here, and uh, Rich Donuts is still in business. Oh, I know. Yes. That's the good stuff. Yes. So, now, we get off the ferry. We've in and out of the streets of Southport and put the boat in the water at the marina. And from there, it's about a 15-minute boat ride to this specific site. Once we get there, Billy Ray kicks on the sonar, and there it is. Wow. There's no mistaking it. That's the ship right there. We drove right over it. Ha! Greg drops three buoys into the water to mark its spot. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, just yell, go. Go. It's a real complicated system. That's the end. That's the end right there. And while these guys are putting on their dive gear, it's worth describing where we are exactly. The place where we dropped anchor is about a quarter mile off Caswell Beach. You can see people running and walking their dogs on the sand. The Oak Island Lighthouse is off to our east, blinking, and we have a few visitors. Some pelicans showed up. So Greg and Billy Ray get in and start heading down to the bottom. Hey Greg, this is Jeremy. What do they see? Nothing. There's literally about three inches of visibility right today. Three inches of visibility. So they have to feel around, basically in the dark. There's quite a few large, loose pieces of iron in here. And you can tell they're iron with the sea urchins on the back of them, so they'll they actually stick into your fingers. What does it feel like? After about 20 minutes of running their hands over iron plating, pieces of lead, and a lot of sea urchins, Greg and Billy Ray are back on the boat. You ever see any fish down there, or just not enough visibility to see fish? I wouldn't see a fish if it bumped into me. The water here is only about 20 feet deep, but the visibility is always terrible. For one thing, it's right near the mouth of the Cape Fear River. For another thing, there's the outflow pipe from a nuclear power plant about 400 yards to the east, which churns up the water 24-7. It sounds like this would be a great dive site if not for the visibility, really. 
Yeah, the visibility is the only thing that's wrong with it. This dark, murky water kept this wreck hidden for almost 100 years. And there's also a good chance that it was, for a time, almost completely covered in sand and sediment. Billy Ray and Greg can tell that because the wreck is covered in shrimp nets. New ones. Have you been caught? Yeah. The net. The net got me a little bit. Not fun? No, no. It, actually, it is. I love this job. <laughs> it's still fun. So, if it's impossible to see and covered almost entirely in muck, how in the heck do they find this thing? Well, that part of the story starts with a storm. At some point, a big tropical storm or hurricane rolled through, most likely in the last 10 or 15 years. While we're seeing the eye itself getting very close to Cape Fear, there's the... That storm changed the ocean bottom around here. Billy Ray discovered that in 2014 when he got a grant to use a high-definition sonar to rescan wrecks that had been scanned 10 years before. The pictures he got back showed those wrecks were sticking up off the ocean floor like they never had before. And so at the end of one day, Billy Ray said, you know what, I've got some gas, I've got some daylight. Let me run over off of Oak Island and see if I can't find a couple of ships I've been looking for. And on their second pass down the beach, they found it. What was your exact reaction? Holy Billy Ray swears a lot. So I ask him if he can tone it down. He can't. I mean, we were looking at each other and we were literally going, holy can you believe this? What they found was a Civil War blockade runner named the Agnes E. Fry, and it may be the most significant wreck found in North Carolina in years. So how did it get there? Well, the answer to that question came thanks to another piece of pretty unbelievable luck. Actually, in a package that just showed up in the mail one day, out of the blue. That part of the story, when we come back. Welcome back. Just to get you caught up here, Billy Ray Morris and his colleagues found the Agnes E. Fry, a shipwreck that had been missing for almost a century in water that's basically as murky as a cup of coffee. But to understand how it got there, we need to go back across the Cape Fear River. I'll let my three-year-old son, Charlie, describe where we are. Hey, Charlie, do you, can you tell me where we are? At the beach. Yeah, what do you see? I see the ocean and the some rocks. What else do we see? Yeah, yeah do, where are we at Fort Fisher? Yeah. Wanna go back to our car? There's also a museum nearby, a big aquarium, a few cannons, a walking path, and a monument or two, and some people with selfie sticks. This is a good selfie spot just because there's the rocks, the breaking waves, the ocean, and the sun. But for the purposes of our story, you have to imagine what this spot was like during the Civil War. Fort Fisher was one of the most important Confederate forts on the coast. It sat near the end of a spit of land south of Wilmington that's now home to Curry Beach. It had big earthen walls that could absorb cannonballs and mortar shells. It had huge cannons to keep Union warships at bay. It protected the Cape Fear River, and even though the Union was blockading pretty much the entire southern coast, Fort Fisher made this the perfect spot for a blockade runner to sneak through. What's a blockade runner and why is it kind of important around this area? The South, when the war broke out, had absolutely no industrial base to speak of. The Confederacy had to import almost everything it needed to wage a war. Enter 
the blockade runners. The cigarette boats of their day. They were long and narrow. They were exceedingly fast steamers. They outmaneuvered and outran Union warships. On board? Weapons, ammunition, uniforms, shoes. It was an extremely profitable trade. So, in short, blockade runners smuggled in almost everything that was manufactured or made to the South for four years. Wilmington was well-connected to the rest of the South by rail, and blockade runners that tried to get in and out of here were successful more than 80% of the time. 83.7%, be precise. The Agnes E. Fry was one of those blockade runners, the first one to be identified off the North Carolina coast in decades. It took two years of research, sonar scans, and dives before... In February 2016, historians think they've identified a shipwreck off of Oak Island. Billy Ray announced its discovery. The large iron-hulled vessel is the Agnes E. Fry. We were like, oh yeah. But there was one thing that Billy Ray thought he'd never figure out. What happened on board the Fry's final voyage? And why did it run aground? Greg and Billy Ray had dug up a lot of records, but none of them answered those questions. Until a woman saw a story about the Fry's discovery on the news. Civil War era wreck thought to be the blockade runner Agnes E. Fry. I came into work one morning and there was a FedEx package on my desk and it had been sent down by uh, Mrs. Parker of Jacksonville, North Carolina and she was a descendant of the chief engineer on board. Inside, a first-hand account of what happened on the night the Fry ran aground. It literally just showed up out of nowhere. And that doesn't ever happen. You don't just get stuff like this. It almost never happens, but, you know, the fact that we're having this conversation means that we're all living proof that it sure happened once. (laughs) So, thanks to that first-hand account, we now have the story of what happened to the Agnes E. Fry. Around Christmas of 1864, while the Union was making a major assault on Fort Fisher from the east, the Fry was coming up from the Bahamas and tried to get into Wilmington by steaming into the Cape Fear River from the west. We know the 26th, she came in from Nassau, uh, ran aground on frying pan shoals. It was dark and stormy, and because of the battle, all the lights on shore were out. The next morning, the fry backed off the shoals and waited. Nighttime and dusk, we know she was coming down, coming west to east toward the Cape Fear River mouth, and in front of her, uh, a vessel appeared. Now, the pilot could have turned starboard and headed safely out to sea, but instead... The pilot panicked and swung the boat to port. And hit the beach hard. Probably doing 13 or 14 knots. And the ultimate irony, that ship that freaked out the pilot. We now think that the vessel he actually saw was the wreck of the Georgiana Macaw. That's another blockade runner. Either way, the fry was stuck, and it would never move again. Now, there are a lot of blockade runners off the North Carolina coast that we already know about. The modern Greece, Condor, Virginia's. But Greg's gone through stacks and stacks of documents about the Fry, and there's something that's missing from all of them. Something that's a bit of a bombshell. Nobody's ever said anything about removing the cargo. Uh, So that's what gives us an idea that the cargo, that a portion of the cargo is still a border. Even when blockade runners ran ashore on the beach, everything on board was so valuable. Guns, ammo, Paris fashions, booze, lots of booze that it was quickly unloaded by the Confederates. But in this case, there is no record at all of anyone ever doing that. Remember, there's a big battle going on at Fort Fisher. The soldiers were kind of busy. 
A few weeks after the Fry runs aground, Fort Fisher falls to the Union. And then, a month after that, Wilmington falls. And then three months after that, the war is over. And the Fry just sits there. Somebody salvages the engines, takes some of the copper and brass off of it. But then it just sits in the shallow water, just off of Oak Island, for about 45 years. Uh, In 1910, the Corps of Engineers wire-dragged her to 10 feet. Basically, the Corps ties a wire between two tugboats. They drag the wire over the wreck. And it destroys anything above 10 feet. And then it disappeared. And everybody forgot about it until... Holy Can you believe this? So the Fry could be an archaeological gold mine. And the murky water that kept it hidden all of these years... Well, that means that unlike other wrecks, it's possible that nobody's ever been diving on it before, which also means nobody's stolen any of its artifacts. In fact, on one dive, someone pulled up a lead knife handle. It was just laying there, right on top of the sand. That's another reason we know that divers haven't been out here investigating it and pilfering it, is small items like that would have disappeared years ago. And despite the best efforts from the Corps of Engineers, the Fry is remarkably intact. When you see sonar images, there's no mistaking it. It's a boat, a big boat, 236 feet long, sticking up eight feet from the ocean floor. Billy Ray and Greg, they're going to come back here a lot. But on the way back to Southport, they want to show me one more thing. Five feet deep here? Yeah. We're only about 200 feet off the beach. Billy Ray kicks the sonar back on. Looking for what we think might be the Georgiana McCall. That's the same shipwreck that caused the Fry to run aground. Now, Greg and Billy Ray aren't 100% sure that this is the macaw, but they found something barely sticking out of the sand last year, researched it, and marked its exact location with GPS. But as we approach it, nothing is showing up on sonar. Come on, baby. We do another pass. I wonder if it covered back up. It could have. And a third. We don't see a thing. Well, I know she's here. I want to come out hunting with a real sonar suite instead of a fish finder. But for now, it's proof that even when you have an exact location, some things just don't want to be found. I promise. That's a future project. <laughs> it is. I like the name. On the next episode of Away Message... We get high, really high, like 1,800 feet up in the air high. You can see your house from here? No, uh, I live back this way, and I live on the other side of a ridge, so my house you can't see. I can see the area where I live, but I can't see the house. It's a place only a handful of people have ever gone. We found and went almost to the top of the tallest structure in North Carolina. We'll take you there in our next episode. Yeah.
Away Message is produced, written, and edited by me, Jeremy Markovich. Our digital manager is Andy Busom. Our music coordinator is Rosalie Catanoso. And our editor-in-chief is Elizabeth Hudson. Our theme song is by The Collection, a band from right here in North Carolina. That version of When Johnny Comes Marching Home is by the United States Navy Band Brass Quartet. Some additional music this week by Lee Rosefear. And a very big thank you to Billy Ray Morris, Greg Stratton, Mary Parker, and everybody else who helped me understand a lot about the Civil War and blockade runners in a very short amount of time. This podcast is a production of Our State Magazine, celebrating North Carolina for more than 80 years. If you want to read more about the voyages of the Agnes E. Fry and about its Captain Joseph Fry, a pretty amazing guy who met a pretty rough ending, I've written more about that in the June issue of Our State Magazine. It covers a whole lot of stuff that we just did not get to here. You can also see pictures, maps, and more. Check it all out by clicking on this episode at away.rstate.com. And before we go, here's some advice. If you're on a state-owned boat, there are certain things you shouldn't do. When I was in graduate school, I got popped for water skiing behind the state boat because it never dawned on Wes Hall and I as we were water skiing down the Pamlico River that the side of the boat's at East Carolina University in like two foot high letters. And somebody called the chair of my department. And when I got back, he was like, what are you guys doing? We're out doing a survey, Dr. Reagan. Were you and Wes Hall water skiing by any chance? It's like, what? No, of course not. We actually were. We're heading back out to another remote part of North Carolina. We'll talk to you again next Thursday.